I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn with me to the book of 1, 1 Kings. This morning we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 17. And for our reading we'll start with 1 Kings 16 verse 29. And we'll read to the end of chapter 17. 1 Kings 16 verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa king of Judah... Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria twenty-two years. Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, that he took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations with Abiram his firstborn, And with his youngest son Segub, he set up its gates, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks, that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he 
and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord which he spoke by Elijah. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down to, from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Let's also turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, verse 16 to 30. So Jesus is just at the beginning of his ministry. Then we read Luke 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. And then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows of Israel, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, 
that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Our text this morning is the First Kings chapter 17. If you could just turn there again for a moment. First Kings chapter 17. I realized too late this week just how much is going on in, in the, the chapter of 1 Kings 17. The chapter is so full of so many amazing things. And I think I probably could have preached a sermon on just verse 1. But since it was too late in the week and I'd already chosen the whole chapter, um, we're going to have the whole chapter as our text. And there is a theme which unites the three stories in our chapter. And that theme is the Word of God, the true and life-giving Word of God. We can see that theme coming through the chapter already in verse 2. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah. And then again in verse 5, he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And then it comes, the word of the Lord comes to him again in verse 8. And then Elijah speaks the words of the Lord to the widow. And in verse 15 and 16, she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And the bin of flour was not used up, and nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. And finally, the last verse, verse 24, we see that theme coming through again. When the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. So the word of the Lord is a, a theme which comes through this whole chapter. Well, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe you've been to Campfire Bible Camp, and one of the things they love to do at Campfire is to sing songs. And one of the songs that they love to sing is called The Days of Elijah. Perhaps you know this song as well. I think many kids here know this song today. I've heard that you've sung it at school fairly often as well. These are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord. It's a song which is full of enthusiasm. It celebrates the power of God's word. The kids all love to sing this one at the tops of their voices. And it's a song which really makes you excited for, for the Word of God. But I wonder if we always experience the power of this Word. We might sing the song, but do we really experience the Word of God transforming our lives? We might hear stories of the Word of God reaching into the lives of Muslim people in foreign countries giving powerful conversions, but do we experience this same power for ourselves? Do we really experience God's word as life-giving? Do we believe that the word of God is the truth which can transform our lives? Well, we see through 1 Kings 17 this morning that the word of God is life-giving. It's life-sustaining. His words are powerful because they are words of truth. And they're words of truth because they come from the God of truth, Yahweh. He is faithful to his word, even when his people are faithless, even when they reject his word. We can see this in our text this morning because the Lord preserves Elijah, his prophet. And he powerfully confirms his word through his prophet. And ultimately, Elijah points forward to the great prophet, Jesus Jesus himself is the word of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Jesus died and was raised according to the scriptures. And thus he showed that Yahweh is ultimately faithful to his word. And so this morning we'll look at 1 Kings 17 with this title, I know that the word of the Lord is truth. I know that the word of the Lord is truth. Well, first we'll see that his word confronts Israel. Because Israel was a country who had rejected God's word. Rather than taking God's word and believing it, they had taken the word about Baal to be the truth. King Ahab was, was the man behind this rejection. Perhaps you've heard the saying, out of the frying pan and into the fire. Just when you thought things were bad, then things got, get even worse. And that's the sort of thing that seems to happen when Ahab becomes king. 1 Kings 16.30 Ahab did what was evil in God's sight more than all who were before him. That's pretty bad, isn't it? Well, what was so bad about Ahab? Well, the first thing is that he followed the sin of Jeroboam. Rather than worshipping God at the temple in Jerusalem, this is what God had told his people to do. Instead of that, he used those altars that Jeroboam had set up at Dan and Bethel. But more than that, Chapter 16, verse 31, says that he married Jezebel. Now, Jezebel's dad was the king of Sidon in Phoenicia. Maybe this was a good economic move, this marriage. Sidon was a, was a port city. There was a pretty good trade routes. It was a good connection to have. But Jezebel came from, from Sidon, which was actually the stronghold of Baal worship. That's where Baal worship was rampant. Her dad's name, Eth Baal, means Baal is with him. So this is the family that Ahab married into, the family right at the center of Baal worship. And Jezebel clearly influenced him. She took this Baal worship and brought it right into Israel. Ahab then also became a proponent of, of Baal worship. He worshipped Baal, he bounded worship to him and even set up an altar for him in, in Samaria in the city of God. Conclusion, Ahab did more to anger Yahweh than all the kings of Israel who were before him. These are days of unprecedented evil out of the frying pan and into the fire. And to illustrate this point, the, the author of 1 Kings tells us that Jericho was rebuilt. Maybe you remember Jericho was the first city that Israel had defeated when they came into Canaan, into the promised land. And the ruins of Jericho, they told the story of that great victory when the walls fell down. God had commanded them that they should never rebuild this city because they had to live by trusting in the word of Yahweh. He had promised that he would protect them from their enemies. And so the ruins, therefore, were a statement of this trust in Yahweh's word. The ruins said, we are a people who trust in Yahweh's word. He said he would protect us. So we don't need strategic cities. We trust the word of Yahweh. But Ahab shows that he didn't rely on Yahweh's word. And he commissioned Jericho to be rebuilt. Ahab said, I trust my strategic planning. I don't trust the word of the Lord. And so we see that Israel is a country who has rejected God's word. And that's when Elijah flashes onto the scene like a lightning bolt. Verse 1, As the Lord God of Israel lives, 
And that's an oath. Elijah saying an oath here. Before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, except by my word. You know, it's an emphatic, emphatic declaration. Because Israel needed rain for their crops to grow. Maybe it's hard for many of us to imagine this. We just go to the grocery store and everything's there. Fruit, veggies, or fresh veggies even. And whether it rains or not, it's always there. The weather, for many of us, the weather doesn't impact our daily life. Well, those of us who are farmers have a better idea of how important rain was for ancient Israel. Because for them, if they had no rain, their crops wouldn't grow. They would go hungry and their very lives would be threatened. They needed rain. And it's also important to know that Baal was the god of the sky. He was the one that they cried to for rain. He was the one who apparently controlled the rain. So Elijah's declaration, there shall be no rain, that's flying right in the face of Baal. This is a direct challenge to their Baal worship. He said it's not going to rain until Yahweh says so. Because Yahweh, not Baal, has control over the rain. And so you see that this challenge goes right into Baal's face. Baal, who was supposed to control the clouds, he's going to be exposed. Because Yahweh is going to withhold the rain. It would only come at his word. And so the drought was going to show that Yahweh is in control of the clouds. But it was also a punishment. It was also a covenant curse. God had promised his people Israel when they came into Canaan. He said, if they serve them with their whole heart, then he said, I will give you the rain for its season. I'll give you the early rain. I'll give you the latter rain. Deuteronomy 11. That's what God had promised them. But on the other hand, he said, if, if you reject me, then there will be no rain. Then the land will yield no produce. And this is the covenant curse that Elijah announces on Israel. And so the endless heat, the dry, dusty soil, it told the story of God's anger against them. Every morning when they woke up, when they saw that there was no fresh dew on the grass, when they saw that there had been no overnight sprinkling of rain, they were reminded of God's covenant curse. Their dying plants, their thirsty goats, all of these things showed that Yahweh was true, that Yahweh's word was true because he had promised judgment and it was here. The empty clouds proved that Yahweh was true to his word. So there was a drought of rain. But the judgment actually goes further than this. Because in verse 2 we read that God sends Elijah away. Elijah came like lightning, but he also left in a hurry just as quickly. And so we see that the Lord takes his prophet away from his people. More than just a drought of water, there is also a drought of God's word. A drought of God's word because his prophet had been taken away from the people. This was a further act of judgment against Israel. Friends, God teaches us here that we needed treasure and delight in his words, which he speaks to us. Because otherwise he would take his word away from us. His word is the truth which gives us life. We read more about that in the New Testament. When we read about Jesus, who is the word of God, the way, the truth, and the life. To all who received him, he gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. 
He is the word. But whoever rejects this word, whoever rejects this truth, the Lord Jesus will not see life. God is faithful in saving his people, but he's also faithful in judging. So God's word is a word of truth. Brothers and sisters, let's delight in that word. Let's treasure it as the source of our life. Well, at the same time as bringing judgment, we see here that God also preserves his prophet. Because at his command, ravens come and they take care of of Elijah, morning and evening. Just like the manna in the desert, perhaps you remember that, every morning. Just like God, God cared for his people throughout their wilderness travels, now the Lord provides for Elijah at the brook Cherith. Because Elijah's job is not finished yet. The word of the Lord was taken away from Israel, but it would come back. God, in his grace, he preserved his prophet for that time when his word would return to Israel. But that wouldn't happen yet. Not quite. First, the Lord has a task for Elijah that's going to take him far outside Israel. It's going to take him right into the heart of Baal territory. In verse 8, we read that the word of the Lord came to Elijah again. Here's another one of those references to the word of God. God tells Elijah to go to a widow in Zarephath. Zarephath, maybe sounds like an obscure place. Well, Zarephath was really far outside Israel. This widow was not a member of God's covenant people of Israel. And yet God chose to bless her. This widow was an unexpected recipient of God's grace. Zarephath was outside Israel, but it was also in Sidon. Maybe you remember Sidon was where Jezebel came from. It was her hometown, the center of Baal worship. You could say that Sidon was right in the lion's den. Sidon is an unexpected place for a prophet to show up, right? But God in his grace, sometimes he reveals himself in the most unlikely places. The fact that all of us are here this morning is a result of God's grace. The fact that he's chosen to show his grace to us. Isn't that astounding, brothers and sisters? And so God's grace reaches even into the center of the lion's den in Sidon. And there in in Sidon, at the direction of the Lord's word, Elijah finds a widow gathering wood. And he asks for some water and some bread. Now normally this wouldn't be much to ask, especially in ancient Israelite culture. It was normal to go to somewhere and, and expect some sort of hospitality. A little bit of water and a little bit of bread was not a big thing to ask. But the widow's reply shows that actually in this circumstance, Elijah, you're asking a lot. Um, As the Lord your God lives, she says, she even uses an oath to show just how deep her plight was. I don't have any bread. I've only got a handful of flour in a bin and a little bit of oil. And, and look, I'm just gathering a few sticks so I can and go in and make that my last meal. She was right down to, to her last meal. And this is the widow that the word of the Lord comes to. Bringing grace. Do not fear, he says. This is how God often reveals himself. The very first thing that God says, do not fear. 
Do not fear death because my word is coming to you to bring you life. Do not fear because I'm going to speak to you. The word of Yahweh comes to this widow. And he also calls for a response of faith and brings a promise of life. First, she's called to have faith in Yahweh's word. Elijah asks for a small cake and then first for himself. As we've said, it seems like a bit of an imposing request. This poor widow is about to die and then Elijah asks for food for himself first. It may sound imposing, but this is the word of the Lord. Elijah is asking her to give up everything that she has and to rely on the word of God alone. She's called to trust in his word alone. And this is what faith is, friends. It's relying on the word of God, even when that means giving up our last meal, our last earthly hopes, or putting our last coins into the collection as the widow in the time of Jesus. Faith says, yes, Lord God, Yahweh, I believe that your word is true. And so the Lord called this this widow to have faith in his word, to trust his word. But he also gave her a promise, a life-giving promise. The bin of flour is not going to be used up and nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the Lord sends rain on the earth. This is the promise. It's a promise of continual provision and life. And the widow trusted this word, verse 15, that the Lord spoke through his prophet. God's proved worthy of her trust as well because she would take up a scoop of flour and it would fill up again. She would pour out oil for her cakes and it wouldn't run out. Now this is maybe every baker's dream. Every morning when she opened her pantry, she would just be reminded of the grace of God with the endless supply of ingredients for her bread. And we see that this, this endless provision and life was given by Yahweh. The word of Yahweh, verse 16, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. And Baal didn't help her. Baal couldn't help her as she gathered her... Whoops. It's not broken. Yeah, Baal couldn't help the widow. Baal couldn't help the widow as she gathered her last sticks to build her last fire and to bake her last loaf of bread, to eat her last meal. Baal was impotent. Baal would only bring death. But God's word brings life. Through his prophet Elijah, he comes to this widow and he brings her life to the widow in Zarephath and shows grace even in this most unexpected place. And brothers and sisters, this miracle points us forward to the great prophet, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who was anointed to preach good news, to bring good news. The one who came bringing the word of God. When he was in Nazareth, we read from Luke 4 that he read from Isaiah 61 and said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing because Jesus came proclaiming the word of the Lord. He was the greater prophet, the greater Elijah, the one who not only brought God's word, but who was the very word of God. John says that he was the word. In the beginning was the word. And that in this word was life. Jesus is the life-giving word. But as the word of God, he was rejected by his people. His fellow 
countrymen, his townspeople in Nazareth, they were amazed at him and said, isn't this the son of Joseph? They thought they had themselves a prodigy. This is the boy from our town. But Jesus warns them that they need to accept him as a prophet and not as a celebrity. They needed to accept him as the word of God. And he quotes this example of Elijah going to Zarephath. Because in the time of Elijah, God's people had also rejected his word. And so God sent his prophet to Zarephath. He sent Elijah out of Israel. And so Jesus warns the people in Nazareth, if you reject me, if you reject my words, then you're rejecting the great prophet. You're rejecting Yahweh himself. You're rejecting God. Jesus warned his people that if they rejected him, they rejected God. And if they rejected God, then he would take his blessing away from them and give it to the nations instead. Well, this is also a warning for us this morning. The grace of the Lord bypassed Israel in the time of Elijah because they rejected him, preferring to walk in darkness rather than the light of God's word. But what about us? Do we want to submit to the words of our Lord Jesus in everything we do? Do we want to walk in the light of his word? And perhaps you noticed in verse 15 and 16 that it's specifically the word of Elijah, the word of the Lord spoken through Elijah. Because today God speaks through men. And today he also uses office bearers to to speak his word. Well, it's it's very easy for, for many of us to disagree with elders, isn't it? It's easy to forget that our elders actually come with the authority of God's word. And yes, office bearers are weak jars of clay, just like Elijah. But God has chosen these men to, to declare his truth, and he calls us to submit to them. Just as the Lord in our text, he validates the words spoken through his prophet, so he also calls us this morning to listen to the words spoken by office bearers. And this is actually the way that we experience life. It's by submitting to the truth of God's word. And ultimately we do that by submitting to the great office bearer, the great prophet, by trusting in Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. His words bring us an life, an endless provision of life, just like the, the, the bread and the flour and the oil, sorry, didn't run out. So Jesus' life for us will not run out. If anyone is thirsty, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his mouth will flow rivers of living water. The words of Jesus are true and they bring us life. Just like we see in our text. And so the widow had faith in God's word and he was true to his word. He endlessly supplied her needs with life-giving flour and oil. But then our text takes a turn when the word of Yahweh is challenged when all of a sudden the widow's son dies. This poor widow, her faith is suddenly tested because she had trusted in the life-giving word of Yahweh. But what was this? Her son was dead. What good was that endless flour and oil now? The miracle certainly lost its sign once the son had died. Have you come to remember my sin, she said? Have you come to kill my son? That's what she said to Elijah. The poor widow is confused. 
she can't understand why God has given such an amazing miracle only to bring devastation. Maybe that's true for us sometimes as well, brothers and sisters. If God suddenly visits us with loss or a hardship, we often don't know why. We might even, like the woman from Zarephath, start thinking about things we've done wrong in the past. We might be filled with guilt. Is God punishing us? Well, sometimes God's ways confound us. From our very limited perspective, we don't understand what was happening. But thankfully, there's more to the story. And we can know that just like the man who was born blind in John 9, the death of this woman's son happened so that God would be glorified through it. Because God used the prayer of Elijah and raised this son to life to show you the power of his word, to convince everyone with the power of his word over against the power of Baal. The death of her son happened to powerfully confirm God's word through Elijah. Let's see, Elijah's response is, is to plead with God. Verse 20, he cried out to the Lord on behalf of the widow. He brings the widow's grief to Yahweh. Isn't it interesting that Yahweh, that Elijah needs to pray? In fact, he even prays twice. First, he brings the widow's grief to Yahweh, and then he really pleads with the Lord to bring the life back. Elijah was a prophet, but it doesn't mean that he had unlimited access to God's power. Even Elijah needed to pray. He was a man like us. Just like the widow, even Elijah couldn't understand why God would allow the son to die. And so he prays earnestly. And the result was that God heard Elijah. Verse 22, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Yahweh listened to his prophet who cried out to him. And so Elijah took the boy back to his mother and said, See, your son lives. And isn't the woman's response beautiful? Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the words of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Elijah's word was vindicated. He spoke the truth. He spoke the words of Yahweh, and he was vindicated as Yahweh's prophet. The widow is now convinced. The word of Yahweh has even this power to raise life. You know that the woman used to think that Baal was the one who had this power. Because the people in Sidon believed that Baal was always fighting with another god, Mot, the god of death. It was a continuous struggle between Baal and Mot. And it was a struggle which followed a yearly cycle. Moat would defeat death, would de- defeat Baal. And when Moat was winning, then Baal was dead and he couldn't make it rain. While Moat was victorious, then there would be a drought. And that's what the wid- widow must have assumed what was happening, that Baal was being defeated by Moat. But then every year in a yearly cycle, Baal would rise up again. He would defeat Moat and then the rain would come back. It was just part of the normal annual cycle. Baal routinely won and lost in a continual struggle with Mot, the god of death. In his ongoing drought in Israel, it suggested that Mot was winning. That Baal lay under Mot's subjugation. He continued to be defeated by death. He could not rise to water the earth again. That was a belief that the Sidonians thought about Baal. This widow must have also thought the same thing. But now the widow is shown the one who can truly defeat death. 
not Baal. It wasn't raining, after all. But Yahweh. Only Yahweh can do what Baal was supposed to do. His word is the life-giving word. He can defeat death. The same God who sustains throughout the drought is the God who overcomes death. And again, brothers and sisters, this points us to the greater prophet, Jesus. Jesus proved that he was faithful to his word when he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He proved that the curse against sin, the curse against your sin, against my sin, he proved that that was defeated when he rose from the dead. So this miracle in 1 Kings 17, it points us to the great resurrection of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And this, brothers and sisters, is the ultimate proof that Yahweh is faithful to his word. As Paul said, Christ died and rose according to the scriptures. Because he has promised life for us and this life can be seen in Jesus' victory over death. So where does this leave us all today? Well, friends, we can go from here trusting in the life-giving word of Yahweh knowing that his word is true. In the thick of media reports, in the noise of social media, in the middle of many voices which surround us all the time, some true and many not true, we can be confident that we do have a word which is true, the word of Jesus Christ, this word. And we can be confident that God's word is true because he has revealed it in his son, the greatest prophet. The prophet Jesus who came confronting Israel with their unbelief. The prophet Jesus who spoke words of eternal life that feed us eternally, that sustain us endlessly. The prophet Jesus who came bringing grace, even unexpected grace to us sinners. He he brought grace in unexpected places to people like you and me. The prophet Jesus who proved his word by rising from the dead, who proved that he truly is the way, the truth, and the life. Whose words do you place your confidence in? Amen.